Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Ward, and that just so happens to be my name, yes, Ramses Ja. What up, though? Everything in the world, man. Um, I've been wanting to do the show for a while, this Word. episode. Word. A lot of folks don't know as much about the black experience as they would like to. A lot of folks don't know as much about black leadership as they would like to. You know, they get a concentrated shot every year of the same information over and over again in February about MLK, a little bit of Frederick Douglass, a little bit of Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks. I think that's kind of it. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. They don't even throw Brother Malcolm in there. Yeah, yeah, because um, and I'm I'm glad you said that. And I think that that has to do with the fact that um, there is a, I believe, a what's the word? Um, fear is not the right word, but uh, Malcolm X is a little bit more difficult for some folks to digest. Um, than is Martin Luther King, Dr. Correct. King. Um, and the reason is because he had a more militant mindset, um, a more aggressive approach, and he was very much um, by any means necessary. Uh, in fact, uh, Malcolm X is known for that um, that statement. Yeah, made a lot of people uncomfortable. Exactly. Very good. Um, Whereas uh, Dr. King Was He had a a softer gentler approach And it made it a little bit easier For folks to um, Process that They didn't have to deal with it And and also deal with their own fears and insecurities At the same time They could just say well Instead of dealing with Malcolm X We'll just deal with Dr. King Because he seems like He's going to cause less trouble you know, there's going to be less interference with what it is um, that is sort of the established status quo. Um, and, you know, I've read about that, that uh, Malcolm X was necessary for Dr. King to advance the civil rights agenda. Um, and so, you know, obviously they're both heroes. Expound, um, though. Well, necessary in what way? Necessary so that there was an alternative a worse alternative to dealing with Dr. King. Like you can negotiate with Dr. King through Dr. Dr. King um, and, and reach, you know, black folks and, and understand the, the black community's grievances. Um, and that would be preferable than doing so through uh, Malcolm X um, because Malcolm X was very much, uh, again, a more militant uh, mind and had, the ear of the people black people especially um and when you're dealing with folks who are of the same faith read from the same text um you know dr king it's kind of like the devil you know whereas with malcolm x you know these are religious folks following uh malcolm x's leadership that's sort of like the devil you don't because this historically a lot of uh positions of power have been held by christian folks in this country so dr king just kind of felt safer yeah um, but the reason that I wanted to do this episode is because I think that, and forgive the expression, I think that history has very much whitewashed a lot of what Dr. King actually stood for. That's A. And then B, some of the things that Dr. King did say, um, I believe that as his 
time in the spotlight and as his time as a leader kind of um, grew, he was able to learn more, gain more perspective. And toward the end of his life was able to decide that there were other factors that were having an an adverse effect on the black community, um, sort of an invisible ripple effect that was um, affecting the black community. Um, he, he began to really uh, oppose the war. Um, he began to really um, uh, kind of go after like economic, the economics part of the equation as opposed to like, you know, can we sit down and share a meal at the same lunch counter? Can we use the same bathrooms, the same water fountain? It became to, it got to the point where it's like, okay, we need some economic equity. We need some, we need an equitable um, uh, position, something where we can really advance our own agenda and be self-determined and not be reliant upon, you know, um, this country in the way that we've been made to rely on this country for, you know, everything and so forth. So I, I think that in order to honor the legacy of Dr. King, um, and I know that, um, you know, we're going to celebrate that uh, coming soon. And, and also, real quick while I'm here, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Camilla Westenberg. She is uh, at present still organizing the MLK Youth Celebration this year. It's virtual, and we will have all that information up on the website, civiccypher.com. Uh, we'd love for you to take part in that. It's a very insightful and informative event that takes place every year. Um, but also, I wanted to take some time to review some of the things that MLK said and just kind of let them diffuse into the community so that folks know that this wasn't a just a nonviolent, peaceful, you know, um, protester this was a man who was a great thinker and someone that was able to touch on many things that still affect the black community today but unfortunately he was assassinated before he got to the point where he was able to really get that off and show folks that a lot of the ideas that we're dealing with right now are not new in fact some of them were very much pronounced during the time of dr king some even reflected in some of his words and so um Again, I thought that was important because a lot of times folks will say to, you know, people on the streets that are protesting or people that, you know, have a very charged um, way of describing their reality, black folks, um, you know, on the other side, you know, whatever their opposition is, a lot of times folks like to point to Dr. King and say, well, Dr. King was nonviolent and therefore, you know. I think they mistake that for him being a pacifist. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I thought that it was necessary for us to have this conversation. Um, uh, One of the things that has been um, uh, touted more recently is his statement that a riot is the language of the unheard. Um, And I think that that's a profound statement. Um, And a lot of folks don't know this, but some of the uh, protest that Dr. King took part in um, or organized, they had some folks in there that would act up. And when those folks acted up, you know, uh, that gave the authorities and police and so forth license to get in there and use the water hoses and the dogs and, and all that sort of stuff. If you see this old footage, I don't want you to think that a water hose is it going up against a water hose like that is easy. You know, it's like, oh, he got sprayed with some water. He's wet. He's fine. No, those things hurt. Anyway, 
Um, Law enforcement also didn't always wait for sure those yeah. people to act up and give them license. They yeah. they showed up a lot of times ready to ready for that. Yeah, and, uh, and we've and seen would, that and would create that excuse even if it didn't exist. And we've seen that um, in more recent uh, protests too. And I could cite examples, but you know Google's there if you want to um, look at that. Uh, I remember one example that comes to mind is the police officer that broke out the windows in the auto zone. Um, and uh, I forget what city it is, but if you look up police officer breaks windows at AutoZone, um, you'll be able to see the officer um, doing that to, to instigate the riot. And so that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's something that's happened as well. But, um, yeah, in the, uh, in the past, there were some people that would, you know, act up and, uh, you know, Folks don't that that part hasn't translated. I think a lot of people have this idea that everything Dr. King took part of was super peaceful. Everybody showed up, they prayed, and then they went home. Um, but this uh, statement that he made that a riot is um, the language of the unheard is um, profound because not only does it reflect that during his time there were riots and there was you know. Um, people that were lashing out in a physical manner uh to challenge authority the status quo etc um but it also reflects uh the, the hopelessness that a lot of people experience you have to think that before people take to the streets they've already had to live through whatever it is that they've lived through and it's likely that they've also gone through all of the proper channels to try to suggest some sort of alternative or you know air out their grievances or get someone to remedy a, an issue that they're dealing with and then after living through it and after going through the proper channels you know these things sometimes can take years oftentimes they do then they take to the streets to protest to show that there are many of us and we are going to protest and we're going to stand in solidarity and we're going to challenge we're going to show that we are all committed to this cause and then if that happens and it happens again and again and again and there's no progress, there's no forward, you know, progression, um, you know, absolutely there can be a lot of hopelessness in a group like that. You know, when you get out there and you listen to someone talking, someone uh, again, you know, in the, in the more recent protest that um, I've taken part in, I've heard, of course, mothers that had to bury their children um, uh, at, you know, the hands of uh in, injustice one way or another um and that sadness and that that hopelessness is something that permeates it translates to the crowd because we're all human beings we have we have the capacity if we're healthy mentally to empathize with each other this is what kind of helps us survive survive as a species um and so that that hopelessness and that feeling that no one's listening um is something that is not new. Um, I recall having gone to um, Scottsdale um, during one of the protests that was out here that immediately turned into a looting. Admittedly, you know, I have, I'm, you know, and it was all children there. It was all kids at the uh, at the Scottsdale Fashion Square. Um, and again, there's um, articles about what I'm talking about now too. If you care to to look them up, Scottsdale Fashion Square is the name of the mall. I was there that day. I just happened to be driving by to check on my my son who lived across the street from the mall just to make sure everything was okay see if he needed to come back with me and i saw 
so many police and then i saw kids and you know i know what kids look like they don't dress the same they don't walk the same they don't look the same as you know your normal black block dressed you know protesters that were in downtown phoenix these were kids and to me at 38 years old that's a very scary thing to see police and children because the police don't see children the way i do especially if they're uh children of color you know they see threats i was going to suggest that not only do they not see them the way you do they don't see them as children yeah they just see them as threats especially when they look like us exactly um and make no mistake there was probably we'll say maybe 30 40 percent of them were children of color maybe 10 percent of them were black you know this is this is in scottsdale arizona there's not a lot of um, melanated folks out there uh, majority white children based on what i saw with these eyes um but i still recognize that those two don't mix and so i offered um as i was driving i saw some folks that were walking away from the mall and i'm like hey you know i'm thinking in my brain there's police around that corner and if they see you walking and you're carrying whatever you're carrying they're going to think that you got it from the mall. Whether you did or you didn't, that is not up to me. I see, I see a human being. I see a child that still has to grow up. You know, and, and when I say child, 17 is a child to me. 19 is a child to me. You know? Um, it's definitely not a child to them. Right. You understand? Um, but I'm like, hey, if you guys need a ride to your car, I, I can help you out. You can hop in. I'll take you wherever you want to go. I just don't want you walking past these people because... You know, I don't know what they're prepared to do. And they're just around the corner waiting. I just came from there. And it ended up being the case that I was able to help quite a few of them get to where they were going as they were walking. And I remember listening to one conversation in the backseat of the truck where um, one of the kids says, um, yeah, maybe now they'll listen to us. Right. Now that we've we've dealt with them on an economic level, you know, they don't they don't really listen when we're saying that we're afraid of the police. They don't listen when, we're, you know, they, they obviously the person didn't go into detail like this. But what I gathered from that statement was that, you know, every conversation that they had had to that point had fallen on deaf ears. You know, as a group, he was not speaking for himself because he said now they'll listen to us. And I thought to myself that, you know, um, you know, maybe you're right. Again, I'm not the judge. I'm not the police. I'm not. I'm, I'm a human being. Recognize that there are human beings that if they turn the corner, they might get their head split, shot. Who knows? Um, but I, again, back to my point, I think that that statement by Dr. King that you know a riot is you know um, the uh, the language of the unheard. I think it it really has manifested itself in my life, and I've seen examples of that um, in my immediate surroundings where. Um, you know, I think that it's just worth mentioning. So that's one thing that Dr. King said that doesn't get brought up enough, even though it's been brought up recently, it doesn't get brought up enough because again, people, I think there's this idea that all black people need to be like Dr. King and then all their problems will go away, you know? And obviously if you're listening to my voice, maybe this is not a sentiment that, you you know, maybe you're not that short-sighted. Um, but there may be people in your, in your life, in your immediate family that think 
that black people's problems are just their own problems. And admittedly, some problems are black folks to deal with. Stop you know? acting black, Ramses, and you'll be fine. Do you understand? And then the example, unfortunately, is that if you act like Dr. King or some black person that reflects their worldview, that um, somehow things will be better for you. And it's just it's very unfair and very short sighted. And so, again, this conversation is necessary. Um, another such statement, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Q. Um, however difficult it is to hear, however shocking it is to hear, we've got to face the fact that America is a racist country. That was said by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What do you think? I think that when you use Martin Luther King Jr. as the reference or even the vehicle for that statement, as long as I can look at that statement as having been made 50 years ago, as a person, as a member of the group that benefits most from racism, it's always easier to look at it as a really, really difficult blemish on our country's beautiful, on our country's otherwise beautiful resume. Right. But as a blemish from yesteryear. Back then. They're very, I won't say very, people tend to be more comfortable and can reconcile easier when they speak about racism as something that used to be a problem in America. Right. Right. Racism from the past. Sure. Contemporary. Now you're you're pushing it. You might even be tripping. It might even be your imagination. Right. If you just and then there's a laundry list of things that they say. Comply. Act right. Be respectful. Be polite. Don't do anything wrong. You'll be fine. Um, and our country's lack of ability to properly reconcile. Straightforwardly apologize. And straightforwardly try to correct its original sin. Is why it has no chance of going away at any point. Yeah. If you think about apartheid in South Africa. South Africa had to say. Man we was tripping. Yeah. And of course not in those words right. But South Africa had to face itself. And say these are all the things that we did wrong. To you to you to you. And then South Africa as a country. Could self heal and self repair. Right. But they couldn't deny what was going on. And think that there was going to be any progress made. Our biggest issue is that denying the original sin and even those that accept it pretending like it's something that happened to our great grandparents and not something that still happens to our children. Watch this. So um, I was reading an article the other day about a woman named Ruby Bridges. Um, and I think I got the name right. But Ruby Bridges was the little girl that had to be escorted to school by the National Guard. The National Guard of the Secret Service. And they segregated her school? Desegregated. Or desegregated her school, her school yes. Um, now, Ruby Bridges is alive and well. Still breathing air on this planet. 
She's in her 70s. No, that had to be 100 years ago, right? No. She is alive and well. It's probably going to have Thanksgiving, you know, or Christmas or whatever comes next. Um, so, uh, again, to your point that, you know, America, you know, Dr. King says it is a racist country. Um, and, you know, we're still dealing with that. Um, again, I think that the fact that there are people like Ruby Bridges, I mentioned Dr. Camilla Westenberg earlier. She came on the show before and she told a story. I'll never forget it. I, I listened in real time on the air as she told me this story. She said that when she was a little girl, she could not drink from water fountains. She could not use the bathroom, certain restaurants she could not go into. Um, and it was normal. She said she could not try on hats, God forbid, shoes to see if they fit. Mm. And, the, and the kicker, she's still alive. I love her with all my heart. Talked to her on the phone two or three times a week. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it gets personal. Yeah. And this is what she said. This, and this is something that's perhaps the most personal thing of all. She said um, when her and her family would go on road trips, they had to carry like a like a bucket with them in the car so that if they had to use the bathroom, mm. they would have some degree of dignity uh, because they were not allowed to use bathrooms like that. And that's just the way it was. And so um, there are people alive right now that have experienced that. So for people to and then for people to look back and say it was a racist country. So even if you wanted to say Ruby Bridges, Dr. Westenberg, those folks that are in their 70s that it's from a different time nowadays and in, in, in this year, you know, all, you know, that's a thing of the past. Um, you know, we're very much dealing with it. Obviously um, this year we've had to deal with uh, multiple murders, shootings from the police. Um, you know, we've had to come to terms with again, come to terms with, the, the statistics because numbers don't lie you know no matter how many how many people try to fudge the numbers on fox news or tell a different story with the numbers if you take things you know for what they are and you do your own research and just look at them and draw your own conclusions you end up with facts facts that you know uh black people are three times as likely to be incarcerated for drug offenses as white folks um, white folks as a percentage are use drugs at a higher rate across the board with the exception of crack cocaine and that is marginal so overwhelmingly white folks as a percentage obviously as a number because they're more of the population but as a percentage even use drugs more frequently so how is it the case that black people end up incarcerated at three times the rate and then we'll take it a step further the sentences given to black people are so much heavier, so much more frequently. Um, and that's just drugs, the war on drugs. And Everything the, else. Is the, the really crazy part about the data is that this information comes from our government. Yeah. They, 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 we're not creating this. We're not going around talking to our friends and polling for our own statistics. The U.S. Department of Justice will give you these numbers. Yeah. Google is free. And will say out loud <laughs> that it's disproportionate. They have Except to. Except it doesn't change. Right. And now we're getting to the point that we're making with this statement. 
um, that this is a racist country. There are there are um, systemic. You know, I know that that's a trigger word for a lot of folks that don't really sympathize um, with black folks' plight. You know, uh, a lot of and sometimes black folks don't even know. You know, it's it's very and, easy to get and, them blinders. And then on. that's the part that has begun to really, really poke at my spirit. Sure. I, I had the I had the the opportunity to take you to Bibb County, Macon, Georgia, USA, yes, where sir. Reverend Estella Seacrest. Mm -hmm. My mother was born and raised mm -hmm. Georgia and, and we got to see this Because people think Georgia is Atlanta <laughs> There's Atlanta yeah. And then there's a massive state That's nothing like Atlanta <laughs> Atlanta's cracking My mother's from Macon She's not from Atlanta yeah. And the southern experience For someone born in the 1940s And then you think about my grandmother it's a much different experience than ours. Sure. And, and, and it was much more on its face, flagrant, violent, blatant racism. Through our lifetime, it's been a bit more passive. The, 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 the idea of racism has been a bit more under the table instead of slapping you in your face. Now, in recent times, it's gotten horrible. Yeah. And the statistics will bear this out, you know. During this last few years, for very, very obvious reasons, hate crimes and overt racism have escalated to their highest numbers since the 90s. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you speak about our people not seeing it and being so disconnected from it. That's a lot. You know, you talk about voting in the election and just all the things that we're dealing with. Voter suppression. Right. Because my mother's 18 pre-1965. So the experience of people that look like us just deciding they're going to have something to do with deciding who's going to run this country was a lot different when she became of age to vote than it was for me. Right. Um, so a lot of these things, no matter how hard they try to deny. Are making themselves apparent in front of everyone and people either have to choose to see it or choose not to or decide not to. Rather, they see it willful. Ignorance. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, if you're just tuning in uh, to Civic Cypher, once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. My name is Q Ward. Yes, indeed. And today's show, we're talking about Dr. Martin Luther King um, because we feel like or I, I certainly felt like um, he's largely misrepresented um, and, and not that that's bad it's just there's more depth he's, he's yeah not, he's not misrepresented underrepresented, underrepresented. that's yeah, the right yeah, word definitely um because there's a lot more to him than just you know we shall overcome um dr king was a was a thinker uh, a brilliant man of course um but dr king a lot of folks look at him like he was a patriot and if all black folks do what dr king did everything will be fine and you know everybody's going to get along in harmony but dr king was very critical of this country um, and the direction that it was going in. And I think that it was his being critical that ultimately led to a lot of the changes, but then led to his ultimate assassination. You know, um, obviously, if you 
play the middle you know you're not going to upset anyone but um you know toward the end of his life again he got a little bit more he doubled down on a couple things and you know started to take on new um initiatives that would really empower black communities a little bit further and uh you know uh you know the conspiracy theory theory start at that point you know a lot of black folks can kind of see it because that's just kind of the world for us but you know i don't want to get lost in that rabbit hole for now the episode is to kind of revisit some of the things that he said so that we can add some depth to this to this man and so that folks can understand that a lot of what it is that black folks have been championing or campaigning in in you know this past year and in recent years um a lot of those things are nothing new in fact some of them are reflected in some of dr king's language um one such statement is large segments of white society are more concerned with tranquility and the status quo than justice and humanity um and i personally in it now in my life because you know dr king was dead and gone before i was even born i still agree with that statement you know the status quo as long as everything looks like it looks now we're fine we don't need to engage what are they mad at you know that they had a black president you know all these things um and it it it, i I think that it's 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 a mechanism that a lot of white folks and 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 just people that maybe don't live around a lot of mixture racial mixture um that kind of you know have put up their walls and determined that the world looks the way it looks and they wanted to keep looking that way they can they can insulate themselves from this and they can um uh, take the responsibility uh out of their lap and try to place it back into the laps of other folks and you know one thing that i know is that if there's something that needs to be done you know black folks for the most part will get it done you know we've seen that you know but again that challenge when it comes to systemic things and and to trying to move the needle on a political um in a political arena or to take on huge systems that were built to oppress you um that's a a long-standing fight and so again that statement large segments of white society are more concerned with tranquility and the status quo than justice and humanity um i think it still holds up what do you think i mean absolutely Uh, one thing that i've seen during this year in particular as this pandemic kind of sat everybody down and then george floyd george floyd's murder lit everyone on fire yeah our so-called allies yeah proved not to be like absolutely proved not to be yeah and and i think one of the biggest one of the biggest hurdles that we've had is that we have had moderate progress right we a black president was elected so you can point to that and talk about racism is over how far we've come ignoring how far we have left to go right um people would would rather us be a lot less progressive especially with any type of aggression don't push forward just stand in that line it's a great metaphor to to you like dr king no 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 yeah yeah but it's a great metaphor to what we spoke about standing in line outside of the clubs they don't want us to get to mm. just stand in that line you'll get in eventually maybe yeah just 
you guys just just be calm, be respectful, take off those Air Jordans, you know, straighten your hair, braid it or cut it, tuck your chain, tuck your chain, tuck your shirt, pull your pants up, and eventually you'll get where you're trying to go. Right? How dare you try to push forward? We're we're already letting you in here. We're already letting you go forward. We're allowing it. I want to I want to add something to that analogy, because when we had that conversation, um, that example, uh, one of the most notable elements of it was standing outside of those clubs. You're looking inside the clubs at folks who are not melanated that are doing all of those things. They're wearing the Jordans. They are wearing, you know, they've taken black culture in there. All the all the things they like, yeah, they turn our culture outside. into a costume that they wear. Sure. So so anyway, go ahead. And um, at some point, people that benefit most from the very unjust way that everything is set up have to be the ones to at least help. Bring about the very necessary change Right It's a system that we didn't build It's a very very difficult system For us to tear down When those that did build it Want to pretend that they didn't On our backs And pretend that the things That we're fighting for And against don't exist Well um, Again I really like The fact that These profound statements By this American icon this um, model citizen this great you know civil rights uh, you know activist if only they treated him that way when he was with us right you know uh, oh and that's another thing I'm glad you brought that up there were a lot of people that were very very critical of Dr. King you know, the same way a lot of people were critical of uh, Muhammad Ali. You know, now, you know, in, in death, you know, people look back and they say, oh, yeah, obviously he was a great person. Posthumously, they get to be right. heroes. Exactly. But in their lifetime, no, not at all. Dr. King was, he was going through it, you know. And, and then the government, they were spying on their tapes, you know. They were spying, they were trying to intimidate him. Uh, the president at the time was was trying to intimidate him out of politics by saying that they were going to paint him as a sexual deviant um, uh, in, in his smears public image uh, and so forth. And, and, you know, some folks know this, but a lot of folks don't. And those are the things that I believe will happen um, with the people who founded the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, um, those are the things that will happen with and and to be fair, Black Lives Matter was never meant to have any real leadership per se. It was not they they learned from the Panthers not to have any celebrities or superstars in the organization because if you you know start taking out the leadership, then the movement kind of loses its momentum, and so that's why it's organized by city and by chapter, and you know nobody knows who the what who whoever is. Obviously, if you did a little research, you could find out, but they're not out there, you know, on Oprah, you know, like that. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, I think that it's it's something that is worth mentioning that like those people that say all lives matter, 
versus Black Lives Matter, right? Whenever someone says Black Lives Matter, there's the people that respond that say All Lives Matter. Those people will ultimately find that, you know, slow and steady wins the race. That their 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 argument or their um, adversarial position is invalid. I think that on some level you have to know it, you know, because uh, obviously all lives matter. Or rather, better said, to quote Zara, um, all lives will matter once black lives matter. Because right now, based on everything that we see, based on the numbers, based on the, the injustices that we're protesting in the streets and, and elsewhere, black lives don't matter. So we need to say black lives matter. We need to champion that effort so that all lives will matter. Yeah. Right. Right. The the the, the latter argument is understood. That's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, we want we want that too. We're not trying to say black lives matter more or, you know, anyone else's lives matter less. Um, and it's so interesting how that gets challenged. They want but, us to say black lives matter too. They well, want us to have like, like think about that. They want us to have to say the two, as if they need help understanding what we mean. You know what? Flip this. Um. Again, shout out to everybody that's been supporting this show, Civic Cipher. Um, shout out to everybody that carries the program that allows you to hear my voice and Q's voice every week. Um, those are good people. Um, people that understood what my initial charge was. And that was to be self-determined. In other words, we black people using black voices and black intelligence get to say what it is that we are going to do and that means that whether we're right or sorry right wrong or otherwise we get to decide what it looks what is best for us moving forward and what it does even if we're wrong is it emboldens black leadership it causes black intelligence to come to the forefront i i need black people to be critical of me and you Absolutely. So that we can challenge each other to find out our path forward. And I think that what it does is it um, takes power away from this white savior idea that a lot of folks have by default. You know, that's, it's not to say that anyone's racist or anything. I think that we're just programmed. We look at all the movies and who comes and saves the day at the end. He's got flowing hair. He looks like Thor and he's the god of thunder, all this sort of stuff, you know. No, there's, you know, we were here first. We had heroes before there was even anybody else, you know. Um, and so, again, to, to be self-determined, to be able to say black lives matter and have that be the complete statement. Because even if we said black lives matter, too, I feel like if someone wanted to challenge it, they would. Because they have blue lives matter. As if there is a such thing yeah. as a blue life. That part. So um, my thinking is that people that want to be critical of black people's self-determination, uh, black people's pursuit of fairness and an equitable life, those people really need to figure out what it is that they are afraid of. Because I believe that at a lot, a lot of racism, at the core of it is fear. And that really, for me, you know me, Q., I, my, I'm love first. And these racist people come hell or high water. They're my brothers and my sisters. And they're afraid of me. 
They're afraid of my children for some reason. And that means that me being the elder, remember, I was here first. The first human being that walked upright on this planet looked just like me. And his hair came out of his head just like this. And I wear my hair like this so that my ancestors will recognize me from wherever they are. Do you understand? The first people. So I feel like being older, it's up to me to make sure that I account for the fact that sometimes younger people are afraid. And again, being self-determined, being able to, you know, decide what, what our path forward is, being able to, to come up with our own, even if we've been very critical, not very critical, but we understood that defund the police on its face without any explanation sounds like anarchy. Yeah. You know, we understand that. And, and it takes a, a second step to really understand what that's, what that is about. Um, but if all you hear is defund the police, then it sounds like, oh, my God, black people don't like the police. Yeah, I want to sounds stand. like the purge. Right. Exactly. Um, but if it's if it came from a black mind and it's championed by black leadership, then I think that it has a place. Um, whether or not it needs to be explained remains to be seen. But I will always and forever cheer black people championing black initiatives. I follow brown leadership whenever I have to go and take to the streets because of something that's affecting my brown brothers and sisters, my Hispanic brothers and sisters. Um, you know, uh, the, the truth is they know their lifestyle. They know their culture. Like, I grew up around it, but I'm not Hispanic. Well, a little Cuban, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in the Southwest in California and Arizona is where I grew up. So Mexican people are the people that have shaped my life. But I don't speak Spanish as well as them. You know, they, they know how to get the information. It moves back and forth. And I know to follow that leadership. I don't question it. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for everyone. And I think that sometimes this idea that whatever black people do, it's not good enough. It should be Black Lives Matter, too. I, I think that that's insulting in its face. Um, yeah. And it's not being challenged from a critical standpoint. Those people are being intentionally adversarial. To something yeah, that sounds like black <laughs> and then put any positive statement after it. Yeah, exactly. They're going to take the opposing view of that period. Yeah. No matter how well it's articulated. You know, Colin Kaepernick said very plainly, I am not kneeling to disrespect our flag, our military or uh, our country. I'm kneeling because our country is better than what I'm seeing. And that's black people being brutally beaten and murdered by the police Simple. on television. Simple. And nothing being done about it. How about some accountability? Anybody? And instead of a large portion of the population told him to shut up. And instead of taking accountability, they do this thing where they try to twist the narrative. They try to those alternative facts. They turned him into a villain. Right. How in the world? You know? Um, and I remember reading an article and not to be too far off topic, but I remember an article about him wearing his hair, which is something that's very important to me Him wearing his hair in an Afro shortly after he started, you know, protesting, um, when he was off the field or otherwise not playing injured or whatever as a statement. Um, and to me, it suggested like, why is anybody afraid 
of how your hair grows and naturally grows out of your head. Had there been no mutations, mutations, not evolution, look it up. Google is absolutely free. Mutations in human beings. Everybody's hair would look just like Colin Kaepernick's. Big old afros everywhere. That's what human beings look like in their natural state. Everything else is a result of a mutation. Again, check it. Um, but I don't want to dwell on that too much. Another statement I wanted to get off. Because, <laughs> you know, I could do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm big on afros. Uh, you know, my, both of my sons wear their hair the way it comes out of their head. It's just really important to me. I, li- I think of it as, as, as a crown. I like that. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. Any idea who said that? I'm going to just guess. Go ahead. Martin Luther, the King, Jr. That's the one. Okay. He said that. Uh, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. They call me Q Warden. That just so happens to be my actual name. Yes, indeed. And uh, what we're doing today is we are discussing Dr. Martin Luther King, who is often presented as more of a pacifist, um, as only a nonviolent protester and not the critical thinker uh, that he was and, and not a person who was who had charged this country with being better, not a person who was able to identify that this country had some huge shortcomings and had failed to meet its obligation to its black citizens. Um, a lot of times uh, folks think, you know, be like Dr. King, black folks, if, if, if you're black and you just be like Dr. King, everything will be okay. And they, and they say that not knowing that Dr. King was just as critical um, and had just as many charges for this country as some of our, you know, contemporary protesters, activists, speakers, etc. Um, and I think that it's important that we give um, some some context and some some uh, substance to Dr. King that may not be taught every February <laughs> when they when they glance over when they gloss over the you know peanut I have a butter and, speech yeah uh, all that sort of stuff so. Again, one of the things that Dr. King said is that we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors, of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. Um, and 2020 alone has shown that there are still very much unspeakable horrors of police brutality. And according not even, to... According, not even just 2020, bro. November. Sure, sure. <laughs> this week. like you, you know what I mean? I don't even want it to be so vague as to... You know, this year had its its challenges. No, no, no. All the time. Yeah. Still right now. Yeah. Yesterday, day before. All the time. And, uh, you know, when he says that, you know, we can never be satisfied. Um, for those folks that say be like Dr. King. Well, in his own words, we can never be satisfied. In other words, we can't just chill at the crib. We got to take to the streets because what we see is unsatisfactory because by definite, or at least uh, based on uh, Dr. King's advice, um, you know, there's still unspeakable horrors at the hands of police. Um, and, you know, why that is and how to deal with that is something that we've covered in the past and we'll continue to cover in the future. But it's important that people know that if Dr. King were alive today, I absolutely believe that he would be out there the same as all of us, 
you know? And so for those folks who have been very critical of the Black Lives Matter statement, organization, you know, whatever, even people that think of Antifa in that way, you know, people that are critical. And, and just so you know, Antifa is anti-fascist. If you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. So if you're not a Nazi and you don't like Nazis, then by definition, you're Antifa. That's the way it works. There is no organization. There is no nothing. It's just people that don't like Nazis and that are very vocal about it. So that's that. But um, Dr. King, I believe if he were alive today, would absolutely be out on the streets, you know, shouting Black Lives Matter. Not all lives matter. Nothing. None of those other things that, you know, that people are saying blue lives. matter. There's no such thing again as a blue life. It's so it's so infuriating and so yeah. hurtful to hear that. I mean, even more than it being hurtful to hear, there's an intimidation thing sure. going on now where they're flying that flag. Yeah. Along with the Trump flag, along with the Confederate flag, along with the swastikas. Sure. All together in uniform and in concert. Yeah. Right. You have the leader of our country saying that people Antifa in particular and Black Lives Matter in particular are terrorist groups while his followers, supporters and base actually carry march <laughs> with swastikas and Confederate flags and, you know, the Blue Lives Matter flag. Absolutely. Uh, We've already talked about as how. a direct way to say to black people. Carry on. We've already talked about how um, law enforcement gets a lot of their uh, officers from those very right-wing nationalist organizations like, you know, Nazis and KKK and that sort of stuff, especially in the South. Um, But um, I also wanted to say another thing, and that's that I remember, I I have to do some research on this, um, so maybe I shouldn't say this. Yeah, vet it out first. But I I will preface the statement by saying that I don't know. I just remember reading that you're not supposed to change the colors of the American flag. I remember that. Mm. So these people who are so patriotic that have so much to say about the American flag that unites all of us, for them to take the flag, the whole country, and then turn it black and white, not red, white, and blue, and then put one blue stripe and then suggest that the thin blue line keeps us all, you know, I, my understanding, police, I've never seen police prevent a crime. I've seen police come after a crime has been committed and try to fix things. And sometimes they do. So, um, and, and again, not to be critical of police. I'm not here to, you know, do that. Eventually I'll have an officer up and we'll have a really um, uh interesting conversation with that officer whoever he or she might be but um you know i'm not trying to say one thing or another about police right now but i will say that um that flag is by itself uh based on what i know to be true um that's not supposed to be uh how you display your patriotism for this country in fact it's the opposite except when black lives don't matter to you. <laughs> yeah, and then it's all good. <laughs> you fly a flag that was designed for the sole purpose of being the antithesis of Black Lives Matter. Exactly. They designed a flag. That's how it Desecrated goes. this sacred flag that they fly and, you know, curse you if you don't stand and pledge allegiance to. 
just as an intimidation and, and an antagonistic statement opposed to Black Lives Matter. Funny how that works. So, um, I got one more thing that I want to talk about. Dr. Dr. King said, and I'm going to piggyback off of what we we're just talking about with the flags. So some people are that passionate. Either they are intimidated by black folks and don't want to see any progress there, or they have some sort of some reason that they are just in love with the police. Whatever that reason is, you know, uh, I'm not calling anybody a bootlicker, but it does seem like that. You know, if you work in law enforcement or your family or whatever and you got a ride with the police, then there's your case right there. But if you don't, then you really need to really check your why you're really doing that. Um, Have the police ever saved you from (laughs) from uh, any any crime from happening to you Um, or have they come around after it's happened and whatever anyway it's the people who don't take it that far people that don't fly those weird flags because there's a red one too about the fire department somehow whoa with a red stripe you haven't seen those no oh this is arizona man they got those um it's the people that they they just don't want to be bothered (laughs) they're like hey man you know what that's them over there our moderate allies huh so let me tell you what Dr. King said about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, man. Okay. The Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the KKK, but the white moderate who's more devoted to order than justice. And, and I think that it's important to take those two words uh, and, and look at them separately. Order. Order means... If everything is doing exactly what it's meant to do, that's order. If the system was designed to oppress black people, which is what we've been telling everyone since the inception of the system, then you you have order. You know why that's so hard to accept, though, correct? Talk to me. Well, it's the same reason why you look at some people and you can't, for the life of you, figure out how they stand in defense of our president. Hmm. Except they're standing in defense of themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. I voted for him, I support him, and I think like him. So if you're saying he's a racist, you're saying I'm racist, and I'm not racist. I know Ramses Shah. I even go to hashtag lunch bag. So I couldn't possibly be. Those are the ones who would like to maintain order. Okay. Because they can't see themselves as a part of the problem. Sure. So they're going to defend the status quo because they're a part of it and directly benefit from it. Well, those are the same people that like uh, a mild-mannered Dr. King. And it's to those people that I say one more time, a quote from Dr. King, the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the KKK, but you, the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than justice. And, and I want to be clear, it's not just the white moderate. There are people who just... If, if it's working for them, this could be black folks who have made it black men that benefit from the patriarchy. This, this could be a lot of our our, our uh, Latino uh, Latinx brothers and sisters. Latino, I think. 
is is a is a better thing yeah. to say. Yeah, because it's it's largely. Uh, but you know what? I will, and and this is me putting myself out there. Uh, it, a lot of Cuban people, they tend to be very Republican. I, you know, obviously I'm part Cuban, so the Mexican, our Mexican brothers and sisters in Texas and California, New Mexico, Arizona, mm-hmm. are Mexican. Okay, our Cuban brothers and sisters in, in many parts of the Eastern United States, the Southeast Florida, more specifically, are white. How about that? That's the difference. And not that there are not, sadly, plenty of Mexican people and black people who support what's going on, strangely. And, and you know, like we can wrestle with that on a different show. Um, that's how you end up with Cuban Republicans voting against their best interests. Right. They're the they're the they're the nerdy kid that's now a part of the cool crew. Or so they think. Right. And they're looking down at the nerdy kids like. What is their problem? Yeah, didn't I, I? I think if I if I remember correctly, the Proud Boys was founded by a Cuban man. Wow. So anyway, um, yeah, that's a charge from Dr. King to, in this case, the white moderate, someone who, you know, if they like you said, they identify with uh, like Donald Trump himself or a person like him. They they like the policies, you know, the fiscal policies, et cetera. Hyper capitalism. Sure. And they uh, fail to see the humanity um, around them, that the world is not the same for people who don't look like them. They, they just failed as they can't. It doesn't make sense. They're like, hey, man, I was born in the same place as everyone else and I worked and here I am and I want to keep going. Not recognizing that not everybody has a story like that not seeing brothers and sisters they see themselves almost like you know whatever and if they think that they're coming to hashtag lunch bag which is a non-profit that or a charity event that we do uh monthly we we implore you to look that up um and uh, see if you can help out if you're in phoenix uh uh or in this part of the country the next time we do one um but if you do come to our event and you associate with black people and you do know ramses john you do know q ward and you don't consider yourself racist but you cast a vote for a person who Donald Trump will just say it you cast a vote like that um, what you need to do is go back and, and redefine for yourself what racism is and, and accept a broader definition than what you've told yourself and then work on yourself being critical of yourself if you look at the fact that you share this planet with other folks that um, you'll recognize that, you know, there's a lot more to that than you may know. So with that said, um, we're going to sign off. Uh, we would love for you to hit our website, civiccipher.com, submit any questions, topics that you want us to discuss. You can donate. If there's any interviews we need, let us know about it. Um, be sure to follow all of our social media at civiccipher. And until next week, y'all take care of yourselves. Peace. Peace.